0: Welcome to the Avowed Podcast. I'm Jasmine Lilly. Until now, I had conducted all of my interviews with people inside the U.S., which means setting up an interview overseas has been a looming inevitability that had me a little bit overwhelmed. The modern wedding industry is evolving all across our world and I certainly don't wanna be relegated to stateside conversations. Luckily, I discovered a software that recorded long distance calls with surprising clarity. So if you notice a difference in sound from previous episodes, just know that this one is coming all the way from merry old England. I was super excited to speak with Nova Reed, the aptly named powerhouse behind UK wedding blog New Bride. And I must say, she exceeded expectations. Nova is such a wonderfully articulate, insightful, and intelligent woman. She's basically a quote machine. Literally everything that came out of her mouth went into my pile of promotional quotes for this episode. It was wonderful to hear about her journey into wedding blogging.
1: And I was always a bit of an independent woman. I, you know, I didn't need a man to feel fulfilled. I, I kind of had that mentality. I was all about my career and a um, bit of a feminist really. So I really didn't expect to get as swept away with the industry as I thought I would because, because of kind of my default mode. It wasn't a business decision. It wasn't a business idea at that stage. It was just a platform for me to express myself and, um, lo and behold, it started to resonate with lots and lots of other people.
0: What Brexit has meant for her community and the wedding industry in the UK.
1: There's been a political shift and there is a societal shift that we're still going through. Um, And I think there's also a desire to, whether or not the intention is authentic, (laughs) there is definitely a desire to be seen to be doing the right thing, to be seen to be inclusive. Um, because there is a kind of perception that if you're not being seen to being inclusive or being seen to be diverse, then does that potentially mean that you're far right?
0: And how she felt on the other side of marriage.
1: There was a kind of silent power, I guess, is the only way I can explain it. I say there's a power, there's a power in kind of making that promise to your friends and family and all the people who matter in your life and then witnessing that with you, that is incredibly powerful. And also, I guess, as you kind of move through your relationship and and life happens and challenges are thrown at you, there is an element of your vows that are so powerful. You can lean on them. That's, that would be the only thing I would describe that's different. There's just this power.
0: (laughs) All that and so much more on today's episode of the avowed podcast. It seems like this whole adventure began with you planning your own wedding.
1: Yeah, it did. Um, I had absolutely no interest in the wedding industry before I got engaged. Um, I had not really much understanding of it either. And um, got engaged and kind of completely immersed myself in it and realized I was a bit of a hopeless romantic after all. Um, And that's where it all started. It sounds like you
0: experienced some frustration looking through like the publications that you were able to get your hands on but that the blogs were a much better place for you to find inspiration
1: yeah um massive frustration and and also quite unexpected um because some of the frustration I experienced when I got engaged uh were the same frustrations I experienced when I was kind of studying performing arts and acting and um that was nearly a decade later, and I was like, "Why well, haven't moved forward. So I guess my frustration was around the fact that as a, a modern British woman who also happens to be black, there was just no visual inspiration or representation for me or women who look like me in mainstream media, um, on catwalk shows, and actually even the UK blogs were a struggle. And I actually found most of my wedding inspiration via US platforms which was great on the one hand that I found something, but a great shame because, you know, the service providers I wanted to book um, were all kind of in the US. um, So that's why I started New Bride.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting to me that you were able to find so much more inspiration on US blogs. Why do you think that is?
1: Um, I think, well, you're bigger than the UK. <laughs> yeah, and in terms of, you know, if, if we want to label, I don't like to use a label, but for the purposes of this interview, it makes sense. You know, you're bigger, so your, your ethnic minority group is larger than ours in the UK. Uh, so there, you could argue that there's more of a market and, and that there is more of a need. Um, I think there's a need everywhere, regardless of numbers, but that's, that's probably why I felt that was, was kind of happening for me back in 2011.
0: Tell me about the experience of starting New Bride. Like what did that process look like?
1: It was very easy and it was very random. So I got engaged um, on the 4th of November and I think the day after I'd kind of ran into a news agent and and, and brought lots of magazines and and quickly realised that there was a massive, massive gap in the market. And before I kind of Dell straight in, I did a bit of research, I waited another couple of months and, and kind of sniffed out magazines then and attended as many wedding events as possible, just to make sure the kind of lack of diversity wasn't as a result of um, perhaps my being oversensitive and being more kind of having a an acute awareness of it, given given kind of my background growing up in, in a rural area called Hertfordshire, which barely had any black people in it. So I I wanted to make sure that it wasn't my hypersensitivity and it was actual facts, so I did lots of research, attended lots of shows, and when I realised it was the same thing over and over again, i it was on New Year's Day 2012, I just bought a domain, I googled how to make a blog. <laughs> Um, and I brought a WordPress domain. The the name came really easily to me. Um, New Bride is essentially Nova Bride. N-U is a Chinese spelling for new, um, and Nova means new, so that came really, really easily, and I just brought it as an opportunity to document my own wedding planning. It wasn't a business decision. It wasn't a business idea at that stage. It was just a platform for me to express myself, and um, lo and behold, it started to resonate with lots and lots of other people.
0: How long was it before you started to think of it as a viable business?
1: So I, we got married that year. So we got married the following November in 2012. And I thought, let me give it a year to see if kind of the wedding buzz dies down now that I'm married. And it didn't. And the kind of passion around getting more inclusive diversity into the mainstream was still there, if not more present. Um, I was getting invited to more and more press events. I was asked to speak as an expert at wedding shows and also in publications, um, also for the BBC. And so it just started gravitating and, and just growing momentum. So I gave it that year and it just build, carried on building. And um, I decided that I would turn it into a professional blog. So I had a rebrand and um, started accepting sponsorship in 2014. Um, So I guess two years later, it was very quick. There was no business strategy. It was all just kind of happening quite organically, which which I really enjoyed. And then from sort of 2014, I I relaunched as a professional blog and then from uh, around November last year, so November 2016, um, I was able to step into it as my full-time business.
0: I'm curious about sort of the feedback that you've gotten, both positive and negative. I know that in my experience, um, putting yourself in a vulnerable space in a public sphere like that can be really rewarding and also really scary and disheartening. And I'm just sort of curious what the feedback has been.
1: Um, feedback is mostly positive and mostly supportive. Um Okay, I'll, I'll jump on the negative first, so that's off my mind. I, I, do, I do experience negative feedback too, I get, I get trolled, um, often around my race, um, often around the fact that I, I speak quite well and I straighten my hair, um, and there is a, a feeling amongst some of the people that feel the need to contact me that um, I am too white-minded and too westernised and not quite black enough. Um, So those are kind of negative things I have and then they're targeted at my appearance, my teeth, um, they're wondering why my husband never married me, just things like that Um, and I don't pay them much mind, I don't reply, I don't engage in it whatsoever but it does happen and I think unfortunately when you you put yourself on a platform and you become popular you're going to attract that as well sadly, everyone is given a voice on social media so um, unfortunately you can't get one without the other. In terms of the positive, it's it's responses from other brides, other wedding couples. Thank you so much for creating a platform that speaks to me in this way. It's modern. It's not segregated. It's not making me feel like I am some kind of special case just because of the colour of my skin. It just celebrates love in all its forms. So thank you for that. Um, or thank you for just, you know, recognising the importance of validating more people simply by representing them and that's the kind of feedback that makes my heart sing um and then from people within the industry who are either wanting to reach more of um, an ethnic diverse market and are struggling and don't know how to um they often engage with me and, and ask you know what can I do what am I doing wrong and then we have honest conversations about you know What's currently going on within their business, how it's marketed, how they're currently portraying themselves and what might be excluding people, um, and then working with them to kind of improve with that.
0: Do you feel like there's a common misstep that people are making in terms of that, um, something that you see over and over again that where people are putting their foot in their mouth or getting in their own way when they're trying to appeal to a more diverse market?
1: Yeah, I think there's, I don't, I wouldn't say people put their foot in their mouth much over here. We're very, we're very polite. <laughs> we say nothing and just ignore the obvious and, and then that creates a problem in itself because nobody is actually addressing the issue and confronting it head on. So that's probably what we struggle with most over here. Um, the kind of common things I see is just businesses' portfolios are just not representative of the eclectic UK that we live in um, the two things I'm asked for most as a blogger to re- um, to recommend to readers is makeup artists who can work with all skin tones and uh, photographers who I want to see a photographer' portfolio and show evidence that they can light my skin um and those are the things that that I get feedback for the most frequently from email from from people asking you know I'm finding it really hard to find a makeup artist who can work with black skin I can't find any all I'm seeing in portfolios is kind of the stereotypical um white cinderella and I need to see that they can work with my skin tone so to me it's very simple diversify your portfolio and get more clients
0: yeah I think that's wonderful feedback to hear from you, especially because I've heard it from um, a couple other people that I've had on the show as a similar response to this question. And I think that it is such a simple fix in some ways, or at least a simple step forward in creating a more diverse representation in this industry. And as a white woman, it's not something that I had really considered because, you know, obviously makeup artists and photographers know how to deal with my face and my skin tone and I just I can't even believe like what a simple thing that is but just how frustrating and systemic that must be.
1: Yeah and it's it's exactly like what you just said just now you don't think about it until it's brought to your attention um like I didn't know when I first got engaged I wasn't aware that I was going to struggle to find makeup artists I just assumed that (laughs) every makeup artist I would meet would be able to work with my skin right
0: I would assume that anybody who was trained to do that properly would understand how to deal with different skin tones
1: you would like to think but what what I'm what I'm realizing and experiencing not just within the wedding industry but also when I used to work in the acting world was not everybody has that training and apparently in the UK it doesn't come as standard working with black and darker skin tones isn't standard so if you don't make it your business to go and top up your skills and learn about different skin types and learn about the products and learn about the differences in melanin then you're lacking a skill so i i was i was on a shoot um i was invited to take part in a shoot in the wedding industry that was designed around kind of empowering business women who were leading or doing great things in the industry and I just had my hair done which was great because normally my afro hair is an issue um and I was taken over to a makeup artist and she said I'm really sorry I'm not going to be able to do your makeup today and I knew why but I pushed and I said why not and she said because I don't have makeup for your skin tone and that was back in 2014 wow so it's still, it's still a problem and um, and that's probably why there's a cautiousness from, from brides in booking because they are also aware that not, not everybody has the skill set. If your portfolio has no diversity in it, then that says either I don't have the skills to work with your skin type, perhaps I don't want to work with people of your skin type and then you start to produce all these other assumptions based on the fact that you're being excluded for whether that's directly or indirectly, so... So you
0: started, or you were engaged back in 2012, and it's 2017 now. So you know, it sounds like it took a couple of years for your business to fully form, and that means you've been in business for what, like three, four years now.
1: Um, I would say, well, 2014, I launched on Feb um, Valentine's Day. So yeah, um, three years. <laughs> sounds like forever. Three years, and um, there's still much work to be done. I think now we're getting into an area where people are wanting to take intentional action. I think what I've witnessed uh, before as kind of a a press person and also um, a wedding expert is that lots of people will come along and kind of sympathise with the cause, but won't actually do anything to change the trajectory, perhaps Mm -hmm. abdicate responsibility onto other people. Whereas now I'm definitely seeing more of a movement where it's like, you know, what can I do? You know, what can I do to help change this culture? What can I do to help? Yeah, it's
0: cool. I think we're living in a time of action and yeah. it's exciting to be a part of that. Do you feel like you've seen a larger, I don't know, community and a larger cacophony of voices rising up in those three years in in regards to injecting diversity into this industry?
1: I wouldn't say a larger, I think just a more focused and a more, a group of people who are have a desire, Um, definitely, there's been a shift in media as well, we, I think we're going to take a, it's going to be a slow burner here in the UK, um, within our media industry to kind of push that forward, but, you know, things are changing in media, Vogue in the UK has just um, employed their very first black editor, things are slowly, slowly happening, but um, we're not there yet, and I think there's more to be done around raising awareness and, and, kind of educating around why it's so important to have inclusive diversity.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, has Brexit, have you felt the pour over of that decision in the wedding industry?
1: I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel it now. I'm I'm being booked for more and more diversity consultancy, which I do in the, in the industry and also outside of it. Um, particularly with media outlets and, um, there's been a shift, there's been a political shift, and there's, there is a societal shift that we're still going through. Um, and I think there's also a desire to, whether or not the intention is authentic, <laughs> there is definitely a desire to be seen to be doing the right thing, to be seen to be inclusive, um, because there is a kind of perception that if you're not being seen to being inclusive or being seen to be diverse, then does that potentially mean that you're far right? Um, Yeah. Which is, rightly or wrongly, that's a conversation that's coming up. Um, And definitely diversity is a hot topic, and I think that's as a result of our political climates and kind of seeing Brexit gave individuals with perhaps bigoted or or narrow-minded views, almost gave them permission to air those views. Yeah. And it's kind of brought everything to the surface. So some people who wasn't aware of some of the oppression and the inequality that lots of different groups of people face on a daily basis are now more aware of it in a way that they never were before because of the rise of these kind of race and disability related hate crimes and seeing what brexit and our political climates are doing to people's kind of social media timelines as well so there's an awareness at a level that i don't think it was at before which i think is helping people with their business decisions and also with who they want to align themselves with
0: yeah we're feeling something very similar in our country (sighs)
1: yeah
0: yeah, I mean, there's obviously a silver lining to it, which is those voices rising up and um and that awareness that was lacking in many ways. And I'm guilty of it. certainly, um, you know, just not really being fully aware of how systemic racism is in our country and, you know, Trump being elected president. It definitely, um, you know, it's not like he ran on a quote unquote racist platform, but like Brexit, it's sort of like it gave everybody whatever fuel it was that they needed to crawl out of their racist holes (laughs) and start behaving, you know, with total abandon, like they just had a a pass and it was it's been wild.
1: And I think that pass you, you know, and, and, and the people who are kind of acting out in that way are acting out in that way because they feel that their beliefs are valid and that their, their point of views are right and, and in some way they've been celebrated. Um, and being seen as the norm in, in the, the kind of circles that they've grown up in. So um, there was, you know, there were lots of misunderstandings about what Brexit meant. And, and there was a lot of kind of hatred and, and you know, immigration. And, and Brexit means we'll get rid of all the immigrants. And then people saw that as a, as a chance to say, right, I mean, <laughs> anyone who's not white, get out of my country. And then it was like we'd gone back 20, 30 years. So... We're still transitioning through that but it's it's on the surface now and there is more awareness so I think people who who perhaps aren't subject to the kind of the oppression or or, or the targeted racism are being allies in a way that they haven't been before
0: yeah I'm constantly trying to figure out how to be a better ally and um use whatever privilege and power is afforded me just because of what i was born into to help other people voice their stories and their experiences and you know oftentimes it takes um moments of apology or you know checking myself before i wreck myself
1: (laughs) i think that that's the thing you know we we especially over here in the UK, we get so, we're so apologetic, and we're so fearful of causing offence when half the time, just having an open conversation is all we ever really need to kind of learn from each other and um, support each other. And just being listened to sometimes can help massively with kind of validation.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's no reward without risk.
1: Absolutely.
0: You have to put yourself out on a limb sometimes and risk the trolls like you're talking about in (laughs) order to see, you know, necessary evolution and innovation take place. Absolutely.
1: Because it has to happen. You know, we can't we can't stand still. We won't evolve. And, you know, movement is happening now, whether we like it or not. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your
0: relationship and how that's I don't know. I mean, obviously, it was sort of the catalyst for this for this venture, which is pretty wild. And then also you have this partner while you're, you know, moving forward with this new direction in your career. And I'm just, yeah, I'd love to hear about your relationship.
1: Oh, well, thank you for asking. I love talking about him. <laughs> Don't tell him that or get a big head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We met about seven years before we got engaged. So clearly I was a slow burner, Jasmine. Um, I am too. I've been in a relationship for 10 years. (laughs) Okay, okay. Not not married. (laughs) We'd known each other for about seven or eight years and... um, We'd been dating. Sorry, we'd been in a relationship for about five before we got engaged. And when I first met, I was I was in the acting world when when David and I, my husband, met. And I was in between jobs, and I was temping at a. Um, medical institution where he was working and um one of his friends who's still in our life now has said have you checked out that new girl on reception (laughs) (laughs) so david came down to check out the new girl on reception and he says it was love at first sight for him i was a slow burner i took (laughs) three years (laughs) and it was about three years before we started dating after that so we kept in touch um and I was always a bit of an independent woman. I, you know, I didn't need a man to feel fulfilled. I I kind of had that mentality. I was all about my career and a um, bit of a feminist, really. So I really didn't expect to get as swept away with the industry as I thought I would because, because of kind of my default mode. So he removed all barriers and, um, yeah, <laughs> here we are now, several years later. And, yeah, he's he's my best friend and the love of my life, and he's incredibly supportive of, of New Bride and me and everything that I kind of put my heart and soul into. I'm very lucky.
0: I love that. Do you find that you have contrasting personalities in terms of, like, you're very outgoing and he's more reserved
1: or anything like that? Depends on the situation. So, for example our wedding day was very stressful for my husband. Um, and I didn't realise the kind, the amount of stress that was placed on him until after we got married. And I think if I had more understanding of that when we were planning, perhaps we would have, we would have done a few things differently. So for example, my husband has a huge disdain, possibly a phobia, phobia for public speaking. So he was kind of trying to force himself to do a speech on our wedding day. And I said, look, let's just see how you do on the day if you if you don't feel like you can do it I'll do it so I ended up doing our wedding speech and and things like that and and he just I I came from an acting background so I'm always used to being in front of people and and kind of performing and you know knowing how to turn it on and off when I need a confidence boost where he wasn't used to being in front of the camera like I was so that didn't come naturally to him so if if we're in a social in- environment and there's a group of 10 people then he's absolutely fine he's a brilliant networker if you have to get him up on stage or do anything that provides any kind of public <laughs> speaking or performing or you know saying your vows anything like that and it just cripples him so
0: yeah it's not for everybody
1: not for everybody, and I, I recognise that. So otherwise we're quite similar, but I will take the lead in kind of anything that that requires public displays of, of communication um, and he's quite happy to be in the background.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing about the wedding day that we don't often stop to consider until that train has left the station, that mm. you are going to have this entire day where you are the centre of attention. No matter what you're doing, people's eyes are going to be trailing you. And it's not like people are necessarily expecting anything specific from you, but just knowing that you are being watched and (laughs) that you're going to have to say something. Or, you know, even the ceremony itself, which I'm constantly trying to understand how to modernize this ceremony. Uh, One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately in conversations that I've had with people is just this idea of really an audience that's like the one moment in the entire wedding celebration where you have an audience and they're silent and you are expected to to declare your love in a really articulate and poetic way and stand literally like pretty much on a stage in front of them and if that's not your jam and that doesn't come easily to you i can imagine that would be an incredibly stressful situation
1: it it was it was stressful for him and I I appreciated him so much more when he told me how how difficult that was for him but nevertheless you know he went through with it he didn't object he you know he wanted to marry in that way but he knew it would he knew it would challenge him and he knew it would take him way outside of his comfort zone but he wanted to do it um for me and for us. I mean, we didn't have a big wedding. That was one of the reasons we we wanted to keep it intimate so that the people in the room were people that were actively in our lives and that had had meaning to us. So we had a wedding of about 55, which when you split that in half, that's not many guests each.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's quite Um, small.
1: That's quite small. So I imagine if we'd have had a traditional kind of Caribbean wedding with 150 plus people, um, that probably would have been An absolute no-no for him but kind of the smaller number helped but yeah it um there's a wedding video of us floating around somewhere on the internet and um he he was just completely overwhelmed uh, during that moment and and there was a uh, there was a moment where I had to console him just before the the ceremony started and then after that he calmed down and he was able to just focus on our vows which we'd written for ourselves and focus on just my face rather than you know everyone else in the room
0: yeah, he's able to use you as an anchor. Yeah. That's beautiful. So do you feel as though your relationship has changed since you got married?
1: People ask that. People people would say, well, how's married life? And I'd be like, well, it's the same as life before. Because um, David and I had already brought a house together, which is obviously one of the massive biggest commitments you can make with each other aside from having children. We were living together for about Four years. Oh gosh, about four years before we got married, and so had already entered those curious transitions of discovering our habits, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, and etiquettes, and you know, roles in the house. So we'd already done all that. So there was a, there was a, there was a kind of silent power, I guess, is the only way I can explain it. I say there's a power there's a power in kind of making that promise to your friends and family and all the people who matter in your life and then witnessing that with you that so is incredibly powerful um and also I guess as you kind of move through your relationship and and life happens and challenges are thrown at you there is an element of your vows that are so powerful you can lean on them um and it, it's that's That would be the only thing I would describe that's different. There's just this power. <laughs> I can't explain it. This just helps solidify and just helps you kind of support, manage, lean on each other, love in a way that you didn't before.
0: When we speak something aloud like that, when we make a public declaration, you really, I don't know, it's like you make this affirmation to the universe, your community, your environment, yourselves, each other, that it's... It's written in stone in some ways, you know, and even if the stone is air, it's like, it, it makes it tangible and
1: manifest, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm curious about
0: your experience with marriage growing up in your family.
1: Our marriage growing up was always something that was positive in my family. It was something that was um, part of our culture um it was something that was seen as kind of solidifying a unit. so um I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong now oh gosh how long have they been married my mum and dad have been married what's the ruby is that 40 years or so I think it's 40 years of marriage isn't it they had their ruby wedding anniversary not too long wow. ago and um they've been great role models for us and even in the way that they are now they're incredibly romantic with each other still they still dedicate time to one another to kind of go and learn something new or explore or my dad will just randomly decide to take mum out on a date my dad is a real old traditional gentleman who opens doors for you (laughs) who pays for your meals um you know who's hands-on does DIY and um it's really lovely to see that love and care kind of evolve for them as they've grown older and as me and my brother have left home and it's just the two of them again um it's really lovely so they're they're an inspiration to both David and I actually that's
0: wonderful you're so lucky
1: (laughs) thank you because I also recognize that's not the case for everybody and and um everyone's relationship with marriage is is very different and some of that is influenced by their upbringing. Yeah.
0: My my situation is very different. I grew up um in a family with a lot of divorce and I the relationship I'm in right now is lasted longer I think than any of the relationships that anyone in my family has ever had.
1: But how does it make you feel about marriage?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm constantly trying to understand my own thoughts on marriage. It's a big reason why I started this podcast. It's purely selfish. <laughs> <Good reason. laughs> um, yeah, because I never, I never thought that marriage was necessary. I've never felt like I needed it in order to, like you were saying, like, fill a hole or like you know I never needed the other half of me necessarily um I went through a phase of course in my adolescence where I read a lot of teen romance novels (laughs) and I definitely thought that like soulmates existed and that there was one person out there for me and um and that I needed them to complete myself and you know and then I came to my senses of course and was like that's crazy talk um, at least I think it is I think that it's so important for us to spend the time taking care of ourselves and learning who we are and not constantly looking for someone outside of ourselves to fix those broken pieces because that's a precarious place to be yeah
1: and I think that 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 says a lot I guess as 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 long as uh, my husband and I have been married or being in a relationship we've 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 kind of grown up with other couples and. Um, couple of them went through divorce one of them very very early into their marriage and it kind of made us have conversations around it around oh my gosh you know I didn't see that coming or you know you you try to understand why um and and kind of for many of them the foundation wasn't there in the beginning in terms of whether that was the reason behind getting getting married wasn't the right motivation or there was something around self-worth with one of them that hadn't been explored and you know there was it, it, I guess with any relationship whether you choose to marry or not if you're seeking out something in the other person that you feel that you're lacking there's always going to be a mismatch and I think you have to work on yourself first because you're the core.
0: Yeah I agree it's it's an interesting thing, marriage. I mean, like I said, I've been in this relationship for quite a long time and we live together. We don't own a house, but that's not, you know, for lack of wanting, it's just simply not where we're at yet in our lives. But, um, you know, in, in many ways I would say we're very much married and that commitment is there and there's no question about either one of us, you know, jetting. (laughs) So, um, I guess to me, A big part of it is just that celebration and that declaration, like we were saying, that manifestation and that intentional moment, I think, is what's striking me. The the deeper I get into my exploration of love and weddings and marriages, I think that the intention that we put into that moment is so special and unique. And it's really incredible that, that that's maintained throughout time. Like of all of these ceremonies that we honor in our common humanity. Like this really is, um, other than, you know, funerals, weddings are, they're a mainstay and they always have been. And I think that there's so much power in setting aside that time to declare your love for somebody and to spend time with everybody that you love in that space and to just sort of cultivate like that totally energetic space of love as you set off on this journey together. I think that there's just an incredible amount of power in that.
1: I have to agree. You can't see me, but I'm nodding like a nodding dog in agreement. (laughs) Um, One of the things I remember was the feeling of our wedding day, uh, less so the details, the feeling of just having everyone's genuine joy and love just emanating from them and through you it was just it was just the joy and love was just absolutely wonderful and it's something I've never experienced from any other event um, whether that's a christening or you know you just don't expect you're just never in the room with that many people in your life in one turn unless it's a wedding or a funeral. And if it's a funeral, it's a very different energy. So (laughs) for that reason, that's why I think it's so sacred, you know, putting aside the vows and the declaration. It's just having your close friends and family in that space with you on that day.
0: Yeah. And when I think about, you know, the lifetime of a marriage and a relationship and the peaks and valleys of that experience and how difficult it can be sometimes and the energy and the fortitude and determination that it takes to weather those storms and to fall back in love with each other when you're in a really serious fight and all of that stuff. It's almost like the wedding and that um, environment that we've cultivated for ourselves in that moment. It's like stockpiling all of that love. It's like... (laughs) Feel, it's like I'm almost thinking about like a video game where you're like powering mm. up with all of the life juice that you possibly can before you like set out into the unknown, because who knows what's out there.
1: Well, that's it. You know, I think one of the things that I think the wedding industry can be guilty of is, is this, the way the kind of wedding world is pitched at us in the mainstream is that, you know, you find your, you found your partner or your prince and you live happily ever after. Well, you you know what, sometimes you don't. And sometimes there are unexpected challenges that are thrown at you, whether that's health, whether that's in terms of finances, whether that's in terms of loss or bereavement. And it's, it's the kind of foundation and the love and the support that you have around you on your wedding day that helps you navigate through that, that helps you lean on each other that helps you be able to communicate when you might be communicating something that's painful um and that's all part of it it's not just that everything's going to be happy and rosy all the time it's that there are going to be some bloody hard challenges along the way and you need that support network and each other and um understanding of each other to kind of help
0: you through that. Yeah, it really drives me crazy in the wedding industry how we've created a culture of happily ever after because it just doesn't exist. (laughs) There's nobody (laughs) who got married and then on the other side of that, it was smooth sailing.
1: I think that's the element of me that makes that last because you know, you know, the public aren't stupid. Nobody, I'm sure, people don't go into marriage believing that everything's going to be bright and rosy. But I think there's a, a there is a kind of subconscious expectation that it should be because of kind of the standards and the memes that are thrown at you in the mainstream wedding industry about this wonderful happily ever after. Well, actually, no, it's the beginning of your lives together, and that will be joyful. That will be painful that will be frustrating that will be exciting and everything in between
0: people aren't stupid you're right and even the most intelligent self-aware feminist women can still fall prey to this totally fabricated you know cinematic romantic version of love and marriage because that's what sells and that's you know on a larger cultural level that's what we're being sold and it's re i mean the inception is real it it really finds its way into your psyche and etches itself on your brain and it's it's a really hard thing to be aware of sometimes because it can be very subtle
1: yeah absolutely it's definitely around kind of these generalizations that that are kind of in our subconscious without us even realizing it based on what we see in pop popular culture or in media and around us. Yeah, I think there's an element of kind of that expectation of happily ever after that may well lead to to so many people kind of experiencing the wedding come down or post wedding blues or depression as, as we call it over here.
0: Yeah, I think a lot about expectation versus reality in this industry, because I think that on the whole, the industry sells a very, very unrealistic expectation <laughs> of perfection for even one day of your life which just can't exist it simply can't like nothing like the world doesn't stand still for you so that you can have a perfect day
1: <laughs> the rain oh, yeah. will
0: still come and your drunk yeah. uncle might fall on the cake
1: yeah absolutely and that you know I think it's the, it's the we're perfectly imperfect and that's what I love about kind of celebrating the authentic side of love is that that it's it's beautiful and it's also ugly as well
0: (laughs) and there's so much beauty and imperfection and blemish and I'm so tired of us treating those mistakes or those moments that are unplanned like you know (laughs) like harbingers of evil or something
1: yeah because
0: I find that those are often the most um genuine moments in a celebration
1: absolutely and I think you know I'm under no illusion, and I, you know I'm part of the wedding industry as well. And and weddings will always be aspirational, whether we like them or not. And there's an element of of kind of accepting that, but also showing difference and showing choice and showing people are wanting to see more real moments. People are wanting experiences now. Um, people are craving more experiences now. So I think there's definitely a movement towards doing for couples anyway, to do things that kind of represent them, who they are, their values, what they like. So I'm definitely seeing more couples via New Bride that are kind of doing things that resonate with them, less so conforming to a tradition that might not resonate with them anymore because we've moved on, society's evolving.
0: It's one of my favourite things about working in this industry right now. I am also, you know, experiencing the wedding industry from behind the scenes, but sort of on the sidelines a little bit, you know, um, a wedding cake baker is definitely not, I'm a little bit on the fringes of the industry, I guess.
1: Sure.
0: Um, and so I feel sometimes like I have a little bit of a bird's eye view of like this crazy situation that's happening and these decisions that we're making and um, and how quickly everything can snowball and how quickly a trend can shape what you think you wanted into what you want suddenly, even though it's not something that was even on your priority list. And I mean, a big reason why I started this podcast is because I was having really incredible conversations like the one we're having with people that work inside the industry and I think that we've created a culture in this industry, especially of, um, like it's pristine and it's got like this tidy bow on top and everything's beautiful and perfect. And it has this gorgeous filter on it and all of the photos are curated and it's like, we haven't left a lot of room for honest conversation between people that work in the industry and people that are getting married.
1: Yeah. And
0: I would really love to see more of that happening. And I guess I thought one of the best ways to help facilitate that was just to broadcast this honest conversation that's happening behind the scenes so that people getting married can be witness to it and see like what we're experiencing as the people helping facilitate this
1: day. Absolutely. And I guess New Bride has a, a primary and secondary audience and my secondary audience are wedding industry, vendors and suppliers. So I have the pleasure of, of working with with many people across many different sectors and roles within the industry. And the kind of common denominator with with being in the service industry is that like you said, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. um there's a lot of kind of perception versus reality and we can't show the reality because it's meant to be pristine and nobody's meant to see that actually I'm burnt out because I've just worked an 18 hour day um trying to make sure that everything is pristine and perfect for you and I haven't seen my family or spent a weekend with my family in since last year and kind of there's a lot of overworking and and burnout and I think there's an element of people who work in this industry are incredibly dedicated and as a result of that kind of passion and dedication they often work more than their hours in order to go above and beyond to serve their couples absolutely Uh, and for some people that takes its toll on a regular basis you know every season there are many many people who are burnt out because they work weekend after weekend with no respite um it can be tough for people that work in the service industry
0: and i think in my in my opinion, I think it's really important for us to be vocal about that and not in like a guilt-trippy kind of way, not in a like, look what you've done to me, I'm run ragged because of your demands, but more in just in an effort of transparency because I think at least in the States, um, we're coming off of what I would consider like a pretty bridezilla uh, <laughs> era <laughs> in the wedding industry and and that culture that bridezilla culture is a direct result of people making demands on their on their vendors and the people that work in the industry and not considering that these are real human beings who are putting a lot of time and energy and love and intention and creativity and their souls into helping you have this incredible experience and I think that there's a lot of intimacy that we miss out on by not um, being open about the toll that this takes on us and what it looks like to work in this industry. Because I think in order for people getting married to empathize with what we're going through, we have to first tell them what we're going through.
1: Absolutely. And the the degrees of disclosure are going to be down to each individual and how much they feel comfortable sharing. But there's an element of... We might lose the ability to kind of humanise the people that are working for us and we forget that, yeah, like you said, um, people that work in the industry are human beings too. They're human beings that are experiencing bereavement. They might have a loss or a death in the family the day before your wedding day and they still need to come and do their job. They don't have teams and teams and reams of people that can kind of cover and step in. You know, they may be having financial difficulty. All of these kinds of things will, will kind of take take their toll on us as human beings and also you referenced the kind of bridezilla culture and I coming from kind of my well-being hat on you know the brides who might be portraying themselves as being difficult to deal with um or grooms being difficult to deal with it may be as a result of something going on in their lives as well that we're not privy to or you know some kind of stress or pressure that that they're not used to dealing with because I think wedding planning a wedding for the average person um, can be incredibly overwhelming it's not something we're used to doing it's you know the amount of decisions that are needed to be made the, the kind of family politics and the finances and all of these other things you have to manipulate and navigate are, are quite overwhelming for some people and that can manifest in behavior that isn't always seen as appropriate
0: and I think that a lot of that can be avoided also with conversation and transparency <laughs> you know if you're if you're planning your wedding and you're struggling, ask for help. I think (laughs) no one is an island, but there's something about this wedding planning experience. And I think this is a product of that unrealistic expectation that we've, that we've developed and fed over time, you know, that you're supposed to put together this incredible event. That's one of a kind that nobody's ever seen anything like, and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to do it with a smile on your face. And you're supposed to, and like, not only is the, experience itself supposed to be perfect, but like the getting there is supposed to be without flaw um, and that you are supposed to be without flaw and, and you are navigating the needs and desires of a whole mess of people, unless you're eloping, you know, or you have a family that's wicked chill and doesn't mind you calling all the shots. You are more than likely dealing with a lot of people's input and you're trying to figure out how to merge all of those wants and needs into one day Mm. and that's a lot to take on and I think um yeah I think in my experience like when I'm going through a hard time if I'm not talking about it and I'm bottling it up I'm gonna lash out at somebody
1: absolutely
0: yeah but if I'm dealing with my shit (laughs) if I'm addressing it head on and I'm and I'm talking to somebody about it and sharing my experience and why I'm having a hard time, even if it doesn't make any damn sense, I'm going to be far less likely to lash out.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I just, I, I think that there is a lot of movement going in that direction. And I hope that I can be a part of that with this podcast and with the conversations that I'm facilitating, because I think it's really important with social media and with the sharing of information on the internet the way that it is right now. It's like we're living in a time where transparency, quote unquote, is really um, heralded. It's, you know, it's a big part of our culture and people love to share their experiences, but also we're putting a filter on it and we're sharing the beautiful mess rather than like the really gritty hard shit mess. It's a hard, it's a hard place to be because I think transparency is really incredible. And I definitely, I'm all about putting a beautiful filter on things, but (laughs) I also want to have the real talk.
1: I think there's, I mean, for me personally, there's balance. I mean, I'm, I'm always in conflict with social media because I'm somebody that likes I like digital detoxes and I like mindfulness and kind of my position in the wedding industry as as a digital influencer means I need to be online or appear to be online every single day, several times a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can feel relentless sometimes. Um, And sometimes I don't want to post. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's about, I think it's about finding a balance and also, you know, remembering what's important in life.
0: Another thing that I think a lot about is um, people who work in this industry, not only being human beings who, as you're saying, might be mourning a loss or going through financial difficulties or so on and so forth, but also the majority of the people that work in this industry are artists. They're creative people. And um, for me, at least, it's incredibly difficult, near impossible for me to divorce my emotional integrity and my artistic integrity from the work that I'm putting out there. And I think that we forget to treat people in this industry like they have artistic integrity. Yeah. Because of all the trends. And yeah, I don't know, I guess I'm just, I'm always encouraging people to play to their vendor's strengths, find somebody who does something incredible that you really respond to and and then collaborate with them instead of bringing them a photo of somebody else's work and asking them to copy it, which is something you would never do in any other creative industry. <laughs>
1: that, that's the key, isn't it? And it's I guess it's for us as, as wedding industry to educate around that as well, because there's a element of us that is encouraging couples who aren't not necessarily coming from a creative background to, to come up with these wonderful ideas and themes for a wedding day and the only thing that they can kind of gather inspiration from is online so they can only see what they see they can't think outside the box in that way so it's I guess it's educating them to kind of bring your inspiration but trust that your supplier can create their own version of that for you whatever that looks like
0: yeah we ask a lot of people getting married in terms of um creating a really unique beautiful one-of-a-kind event and so you know as somebody who is an artist and speaks that creative language easily i'm not concerned about whether or not i would be able to come up with an event and a celebration that felt reflective of me in an artistic way but If you're not an artist and you don't have that creative vocabulary at your disposal and all you have are the photos that are online and nobody's told you that those photos are intended to inspire you to have a conversation with your vendors, then it would seem obvious that the intention is actually for you to like copy paste what you've seen online. As an industry, we need to be having a lot more open dialogue about trends and how to use them to your advantage. We aren't doing a great job in this industry of saying, like, these photos, here's some incredible inspiration from these vendors. Like, imagine what those people are capable of if you tell them about yourself and allow them to pitch you ideas based on who you are.
1: And and also just leaving them to do their job, trusting them to do their job. This is what they do. Absolutely. Um, um, you you know you, you give them some knowledge about what you like or if you don't know what you like you definitely know what you don't like <laughs> and then they can create something um based on that and based on meeting you and understanding more about your journey so i think i guess for us it's to educate couples to to pick their suppliers and their vendors well and to trust them to do what they're absolutely incredible at you wouldn't try and um construct your own house You'd get a builder to do it so <laughs> yeah blogs
0: and pinterest i mean it's so it's so easy right now to search for anything anywhere and that's overwhelming but also if you're methodical about it. I think research is like the biggest thing that you can do for yourself to have a successful wedding because you'll narrow down this, you know, huge sea (laughs) of inspiration into a few people that you want to look into and then you can narrow it down from there and then you're set because you've got a crack team of superheroes who are going to put together the most amazing bonanza you've ever had.
1: (laughs) Superheroes, I love that. (laughs) You know, it's also being aware of where you're, you're kind of your gatekeepers are, your network, if if you're just completely overwhelmed by it, then tap into a wedding expert, tap into a blogger or tap into somebody who does wedding consultancy and they will kind of gather all the information of what you like and don't like and they will come together and bring you some ideas about from of vendors or suppliers that are in alignment with who you are as a couple. So if you're time poor or you're finding that really overwhelming, there are other people that can do that together and offer that as a service. So
0: yeah. And a lot of the people, like if you've, you know, for instance, found a photographer that you really loved, chances are they're going to have a bunch of referrals of people that they love as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Always ask your vendors who they love to work with, because if they're quality, then they like to work with quality
1: people. Absolutely. Like attracts like.
0: So, okay. I guess I want to end with um, what your hope for the future of the wedding culture in the UK is. What would you like to see happen in the... In the near future, in the next like five years?
1: In the near future, I would like to see much more inclusion of difference, um, of styles, of diversity. And when I say diversity, I don't just mean race diversity, I mean shapes and sizes i mean fashion choices not assuming that every bride who gets married wants to wear a dress and that there is just more fashionable choices out there that that are not just um you know a sweetheart dress more inclusive language to include grooms more inclusive language to include um same sex weddings just more inclusion of the beautiful eclectic mix of people who have the pleasure and the privilege of choice to get married. Um, that's what I'd love to see. And how do you
0: think that we, as people who have a voice in this industry, can help direct that inclusion?
1: Um, just to stay aware. Um to also kind of regularly evaluate what we're doing as well, because I recognise there are many there are many more types of couples and there are many more things I'd like to be doing on New Bride. Um, and just focusing on those projects one at a time and just having the desire and the intention to kind of be influencers and and, and lead people with choice um and less pressure around having to have this pristine and perfect day and and maybe educate more people around you know living living a healthy marriage and and what that means and kind of what that foundation means
0: well that's all for today we are coming up on the end of season one and i would love to hear from you about what you want more of on the avowed podcast with my summer heating up and more work arriving at my door, I'm finding less and less time to blog about each of these episodes, so I can't promise that there will be something waiting for you today, but I fully intend on writing about my experience speaking with Nova as soon as I have some time on my hands. So. If you love seeing photographs of the people that I'm talking to and learning more about what they do, the best thing that you can do right now is to go and check out newbride.com, spelled n-u-b-r-i-d-e.com. Thank you again for joining me on this wild ride. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, have a wonderful weekend.